Turn in your copy of Scripture to Proverbs chapter 24. We're going to be looking at verses 30 through 34. Let me just go ahead and tell you what we're talking about today. We're talking about how we work, uh, whether it's at our job or in our church or at school, uh, and how our work matters to God. Now, how you work matters to God. We're going to be looking at a couple of bad examples of uh, how not to work, uh, but then we're going to look at uh, how to uh, redeem the work that we do uh, for the glory of God. All right, so that's where we're going. Uh, we're going to start in Proverbs 24, but before we talk about Proverbs 24, uh, I want to remind you of a story about a guy that lived in the Catskill Mountains, and his name was Rip Van Winkle. He didn't play basketball or baseball. He wasn't a football. He wasn't a predecessor of Tom Brady. Uh, Rip Van Winkle lived in a time where uh, you rode horses uh, or walked uh, to the places you wanted to go. And Rip Van Winkle had a particular character. And it's that character that the story uh, began to be built around. Here's a quote from the story of Rip Van Winkle. The great error in Rip's composition or character, the great error in Rip's composition was an insuperable aversion to all kinds of profitable labor. Let me read it again, let it sink in. It's really fancy words, and I'll tell you what it means in a second. The great error in Rip's composition was an insuperable aversion to all kinds of profitable labor. What that means is that Rip Van Winkle hated work. Any kind of work, all kinds of work. Rip Van Winkle was a lazy bones. And the story goes on and says that Rip Van Winkle would spend uh, his time uh, out in front of the local village tavern uh, telling sleepy stories about nothing. His favorite pastime was slumber. In fact, that's how he built his life. He built it around seasons of sleep. Uh, the, the story goes that one autumn afternoon, Rip came upon a mysterious band of antiquated partygoers, and he spent the main part of the day with them and then drifted off to the side of a hill. There, surrounded by a bed of flowers, Rip Van Winkle gave in to his natural tendency for idleness and gave himself over to a deep sleep. And if you remember the story of Rip Van Winkle, you know that that deep sleep turned into sleeping a day and a week and a month and a year and a decade and two decades. And the story of Rip Van Winkle is a, uh, a warning against becoming an idol worshiper. Not I-D-O-L worshiper, but an idol, I-D-L-E worshiper. And that is what we see in Proverbs chapter 24. In Proverbs chapter 21, I mean 24, beginning verse 30, we hear uh, a storyteller uh, 
telling his or her own story of Rip Van Winkle. Listen, Proverbs 24, beginning verse 30. I went by the field of lazy bones, sluggard. I went by the field of the lazy man and by the vineyard of the man devoid of understanding. Uh, They are the same person. The lazy bones is a person who doesn't live by wisdom. Now, if you remember, and and for those of you who perhaps have forgotten, wisdom is not just the smarts of how to do certain things. We have a guy over here who cuts down trees for a living. If I tried to cut down trees in my backyard, I would be in trouble. I would lose my home. I would lose my neighbor's homes. If I tried to do that by myself, I would be in trouble. I called Glenn uh, Grandstaff, and he can help me cut down trees, and he's got all the knowledge, he's got all the equipment. He's got that kind of wisdom to cut down trees. But when we talk about biblical wisdom, it's more than just the ability to chop down a tree and make it land in the right place. Uh, When we talk about wisdom here, we're talking about Proverbs chapter 1, verse 7. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. In Proverbs chapter 9, verse 10, uh, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Proverbs 15, verse 33, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. If we want to know what wisdom is and wisdom that gives us life, the best kind of life, we want to know what that wisdom is. It is fear of the Lord. That means that we adjust our life to fit what God wants. That's fear of the Lord. Fear of the Lord means that God has described how to live and we adjust to fit what his description is. That's fear of the Lord. So when uh, the storyteller in Proverbs 24 says, "I, I walked and I came upon a lazy bones who was devoid of understanding. He, he, he's saying that this lazy person was also a person who lacks wisdom. They're living life according to their own design, their own desires, their own ambitions. And uh, we're going to see how that ends up uh, because their own design, desire, and ambition is toward laziness. So I went by the field of the lazy bones and by the vineyard of the man devoid of understanding. Verse 31, and, and there it was. All overgrown with thorns, its surface was covered with nettles, its stone wall was broken down. And when I saw it, I considered it well, and I looked on it, and I received instruction. Okay, so, so here's the storyteller. Storyteller is going along, he says, okay, there's Rip Van Winkle, and look at his life and how he slept through two decades of his life, and now I see his story, now I'm going to learn what God has to say to me from that story. All right, so I received instruction, verse 33, a little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, so shall your poverty come like a prowler and your need like an armed man. All right, so uh, it just surface level, here's what the, the Rip Van Winkle of Proverbs 24 is all about, surface level. Here's a person who is a lazy bones, who is not living according to God's will and not submitted to God's design or desire, not adjusting to fit God's purposes or plan, okay? So here's a lazy bone. His, his activity is wrong. His heart is wrong, 
All right, and, and here's the lesson of that. Uh, when you are a lazy bones with a heart that's uh, filled with selfish desire, you're going to end up in a crumbled kind of life. The vineyard's broken down. The doors are all crumbling. Everything is in disarray, destruction. And so let's learn the wisdom of the lazy bones without wisdom. Let's learn the wisdom. Let's learn the lesson. And the lesson teaches us that if you decide to live life apart from God's will, outside of his plan and his purpose, and you're lazy to boot, then the end result is a little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands, and poverty is going to creep up on you and capture you like an armed uh, bandit stealing your life. Okay, so that's the lesson. Now, we need to be like that storyteller today, but we're going to get a broader picture than just Proverbs 24 verses 30 through 34. We're going to look at, at what the Scripture teaches us about work. Now, the reason this is important is because all of us have to work. I mean, all of us have to work. I mean, all of us have to work. Everybody has to work, no matter who you are. Uh, even in retirement, you have to work. You have to work at not working at, in retirement. Uh, that's not true. I, even in retirement, you work. You, there's always a duty to fulfill, always a job to perform. And what happens for us is that we have gotten this mindset, especially if you're a 40-hour-a-week worker or you're still in the uh, daily grind of getting up on Monday mornings, having to go to work and coming home at, and in traffic and doing all the commuting stuff. If you're still stuck in that, that can be a daily grind. And, 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 or if you, uh, you're a homemaker or you're a, a homeschool teacher and, and you're having to wake up and wake your kids up and get them motivated to do that. Look, I, I admire homeschool teachers. I really do because y'all are doing what I could never have done. And uh, I admire you. But, but uh, understand that, that uh, you're, you're in that daily grind. It can become so distressing. Or you're in school and, and you're waking up in the morning and you're saying, oh, i got to go to class today. <laughs> you know, and, and yet that, that work that you've been assigned uh, is an opportunity for you to live out what Jesus has given you to do. It, it's that kind of opportunity. And, and what needs to happen today is we need to adjust our view of work. And by the way, this is how God created it. In Genesis 1 and 2, we see the Scripture tells us that God created the heavens and earth and, and, and all the things that were in it. And Genesis 2 says that God created man and woman, and he gave them a job to fulfill. And he said that that job would be fulfilling and it would be good. Do you understand that Genesis 2, before the fall, before sin entered the scene of human history, God created you, you and me to work and to be satisfied in our work. God created us to find joy and delight. Yes, delight in our work. Can I just ask you, is your work delightful? Can I humbly suggest that I pray that today, after this, you are set on a path where your everyday work becomes a delight. If indeed you're a follower of Jesus. Now, here's the problem. Genesis chapter 3, we see that Adam and Eve chose sin. And once sin entered the scene of human history, that the human heart was, uh, uh, was um, uh, uh, 
misaligned when it comes to work. The the human heart had a twisted view of work. We see Genesis 3, that work now becomes toil and trouble and pain and sorrow and sweat on the brow and thorn in the foot and all that kind of stuff. And it becomes painful. And and so that's how we get the view of a Monday morning kind of work, 40-hour week work. It's, oh, I can't believe I'm doing this. And so many people that you work with or go to school with, that's how they view their work and their life because they don't have a relationship with God through faith in Jesus Christ. They're still stuck in a Genesis 3 view of work. But friends, if you're a follower of Jesus, if you have been rescued by God's grace through faith in Jesus Christ, if his death on the cross has paid for your sin, if his resurrection from the dead has made you a new creation in Christ, then you have returned to Eden when it comes to work. Your view now is different because now you are living in relationship and in fellowship with the God of creation and your work becomes a delight the way it was intended to be. Are you living in that kind of everyday work a day world? If not, I pray that we begin to find and discover how to get out of the old mindset before Christ and return to the paradise concept of work. Work is good. Work is good. God set the example, right? God set the example. Work is good. Uh, The scripture tells us that God, uh, by his wisdom, this is Proverbs 8 and Genesis 1 and 2, God, by his wisdom, created the universe, God, by his wisdom, created the universe, and he said it was good, and he did it for six days, but on the seventh day, the scripture says that he, what did he do? Rested. Yeah. So I don't want you to mishear me. Work is good. Rest is good. God didn't design us to be uh, workaholics. And can I tell you, just a little confession, this is where I kind of sit. I try to find sometimes my identity through how many hours I work in a week. I try to find my identity, my my satisfaction in all the to-dos on my to-do list accomplished. So, So can I tell you, that's as bad as being a lazy bones. That's just as bad as being a lazy bones. But uh, let's just kind of stick with things here. God created work and he created rest. Do you see the ratio? Whether you believe it was 24 hours a day uh, for the seven days or not, but you see the ratio? For six days, he did what? On the seventh day, he... Six days, he did what? Seventh day, he... Why is it that we reverse that sometimes where we have six days of rest, one day a good day work? And you might say, well, I go to work every day. Yeah, but that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about those 40 hours that you put in to work. Are they the kind of work that God says, good job? Or are they kind of the work that would make a lazy bones proud? So let's look at it, okay? And, and please, no, I'm not, I'm, not, uh, I'm not trying to make you feel bad. But if you feel bad, just ask God, God, if this is of you, go ahead and let it sink in a little bit. I I want you to know that as I went through this for myself, I began to see parts of me uh, in Eric Thomas of years past, but also of Eric Thomas here today, 
that I need to, I need to get a new view of what it means to work. So I want you to take hold of that as well. All right? So uh, let's look at, at what lazy bones is all about. What is it that Proverbs makes fun of? And literally, Proverbs makes fun of the lazy bones. The slugger. By the way, do you know that today is International Sloth Day? Isn't that great? Isn't that great? Who would have thunk it, right? And today is International Sloth Day. Um, but that's, that's the animal we're talking about being slothful, all right? Uh, so let's look at this. Uh, Proverbs 24, uh, it says, A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come like, uh, come like a prowler and your need like an armed man. Uh, If you don't get anything else, understand that our actions have consequences. Our inaction carries consequences. And this is important to say in today's culture where we live, and all of us have a sense of entitlement about something. All of us do. But can I tell you that uh, uh, we are entitled to death. That's what we're entitled to. Everything else is gravy. Okay? And, And please understand, and I'm not making a political statement. I'm just saying actions have consequences. When you live in a culture that says your actions will not carry consequences, that's when the culture invites us all to be lazy bones. That is not a political statement, but it could be applied to our political situation. When you live in a culture where actions do not carry consequences, number one, you're living in a deceptive culture but especially when it comes to work or non-work. Our actions carry consequences. Lazy bones, little sleep, little slumber, little folding of the hands to rest. And what's the end result of that? What's the consequence? Crumbling vineyard. The very thing that would give life and livelihood to his family to himself is crumbling all around him. In fact, Proverbs chapter 18, verse 9, uh, Proverbs chapter 18, verse 9 says, he who is slothful in his work is the brother to him who is a great destroyer. That's a fancy way of saying, if you are lazy bones in your work, you are going to reap destruction for yourself and for others. If you want to go down a a quick path to pain and sorrow, then be a lazy bones. And that's what Proverbs teaches from beginning of it to end of actions have consequences. So uh, just bottom line, this should motivate us uh, to work. It should. It should motivate us to work. But if you're lazy bones at heart, you're not going to do it. Or you're going to excuse inaction. Or you're going to, you're going to rationalize why you don't have to work. And, and all these things are important for us. Again, this is, this is just way surface level. And I want you to hear it because that's what Proverbs teaches. I'm supposed to preach the whole counsel of God. Am I right? And so this is the whole counsel of God. So I'm going to tell you about it, but then we're going to try to bring it to a deeper significance, all right? So as we look at lazy bones in Scripture, what do we find out? Well, we find out that lazy bones delights in the deliciousness of drowsiness. 
lazy bones delights in the deliciousness of drowsiness. In Proverbs chapter 26, verse 14, listen, a door, as a door turns on its hinge, so does the lazy man on his bed. Not the only place where it talks about a little sleep, a little slumber, but this is the most poignant one. You know what it says? It says, as a door is always attached to the frame by the hinge, and it may twist and turn, but it goes nowhere fast, so does the lazy bones lay on his bed. It's not that he enjoys sleep. He is chained to sleep. There are two things that move around a lot but go nowhere fast. That is a door on his hinge and a lazy bones in his bed. Today, we need to understand that when we delight in the deliciousness of drowsiness, in order to escape life or just avoid all circumstance that, that means work, then we are embracing the character of lazy bones. Now, I'm not talking to people who are in depression. I want you to know that's a different animal altogether. There are people who deal with depression, many in my own family, and we go to counseling for that. Okay, we take medication for that. And if you have a problem with it, you come see me any day of the week. And I'll talk to you about taking medication for depression. It is a good thing. It's my personal opinion. That's thus says Eric Thomas, not thus says the Lord. But in my home, we struggle with depression. There are members of my family that have struggled with depression for as long as I have, as long as they've been alive or as long as I've known them, okay? And so uh, I'm not talking about the depression that puts you in the fetal position in your home and you don't want to escape because you are drowning in the darkness. That's a different animal altogether, okay? That is when you need to see somebody who is a professional. Not me, not Eric Thomas. I'm not a professional. I'm a preacher. I, I'm not a professional counselor. I am a terrible counselor. I am a counselor that says, stop it. That, I'm not listening. I'm just telling you, stop it. Just stop it, right? So I'm a terrible counselor. But if you're dealing with depression, go to a counselor. We have a partnership with Eden Counseling. We have other relationships with Cova Counseling. And, and uh, we have other counselors in our church, Christian, biblically-based counselors. Please, please, please call my office. We can set up some times and, and give you some options. But if you're dealing with depression, understand there is more to it than just a sweet little verse in the Bible. The whole of God's redeeming love needs to be applied to your situation, not just one verse. Okay, But if you're not dealing with depression and you are just saying, I'd just rather sleep. And you know this. If I was a teenage boy. You know what teenage boys like to do when school's not in session? Sleep. And it's not because I'm depressed. It's because I'm lazy. Right? Dad comes in. Go mow your yard. Oh, go mow the yard. Okay, Dad. Ten hours later. Son, why didn't you go mow the yard? Well, I hadn't gotten up yet. Right? That's lazy bones. Right? And so that's what... Uh, happens. We de delight in the deliciousness of our drowsiness. Uh, another aspect of, of uh, being a lazy bones is that we rationalize the reasons why we shouldn't work. Uh, reasons why we should, how many of y'all have made up reasons why you didn't do your homework? You didn't turn in your homework, all right? You made up reasons for that. How many of you made up reasons why you didn't go to work on a particular day? <laughs> uh, I can't come in today because I'm sick. Y'all know what I'm talking about? 
Oh, we've all made excuses. All of us have made none of them compared to the drowsy, I mean, to the lazy bones excuse. If you look, stay in uh, chapter 26, look at verse 13. The lazy bones says, there is a lion in the street, a fierce lion in the street. Not just a lion, a fierce, ferocious lion. We see it again in Proverbs 22, verse 13. You know what the lazy bones does? Not only does he delight in the deliciousness of his drowsiness, but he makes up all kinds of crazy excuses as to why he shouldn't work. He rationalizes his behavior, and he begins to believe his rationalizations. I don't have to work because there's lions and tigers and bears outside. Oh, my. And they're ready to pounce. They're ready to take me out. This is not a person who struggles with agoraphobia. This is a person who is lazy and doesn't want to go to work. Uh, When I was in college, I was was a a full-time student, and I worked uh, as well. And uh, and, and, uh, if something had to go, it was not work. It was school. So if, if I had to choose between work and school, it would always be work. Um, but that was rarely my choice. Usually my choice was I have work and, uh, 18 holes of golf and school, or I would have work and go fishing at Mike's pond and school, or I would have work and go out with Edie, uh, my future wife and school and school always got put on the back burner. Uh, and that was kind of my journey as a lazy boy. And I had all kinds of rationalizations as to why I shouldn't go to class. If there were 16 cuts that you could take in a particular semester, I would take all 16. And I would beg for number 17. Uh, I wouldn't go to class, but I would show up for the tests and I would take this. My rationalization was I can take the test and pass it no matter what. Until you can't. But anyway, the reality is that I would begin, I was lazy bones. I was always active. I was always doing something, but I wasn't going to class, which ended up meaning that I had a 1.67 GPA. Yes, 1.67. I don't say it with pride. I just say it as a lesson to all lazy bones. 1.67. And then I woke up, and I realized that this was not going to go anywhere fast. It was going to be a destroyer in my life if something didn't change. And really what it came down to is I couldn't lie to my mom and dad anymore about how bad my grades were, and I had to come clean. And Edie and I were dating at the time, and I remember sitting in the floor of her apartment on the phone with my dad, finally telling him the truth how bad my grades were, and just weeping. I'd come to the end of my lazy bone life, and I realized I had to tell the truth. No more excuses, no more rationalizations. Couldn't say there are, couldn't, couldn't blame it on lions and tigers and bears anymore. I had to come clean. At the end of that story, by the way, is when you do wake up and you stop being lazy bones, you can turn it around. I graduated college with a more than a 3.0 GPA. I got my master's with a 3.8 GPA, and I got my PhD. They don't do GPA, but I got an H plus on my dissertation. So uh, what that means is it wasn't that I lacked ability. It was that I was a lazy bones. And, and that applies to our school situation, my school situation. 
I delighted in rationalizing, making up reasons why I didn't have to work. That's what lazy bones do. The end can be destructive. So uh, it goes on. Not only does a lazy bone rationalize reasons why it shouldn't work, but, but a lazy bones also refuses counsel from others. Look at chapter 26, verse 16. A lazy man is wiser in his own eyes than seven men who can answer sensibly. So it's not just that I am lazy, it's that I am smug and proud in my laziness. I know better than you. And I can have my daddy and my mama and my, my, my wife and my husband and my children and my parents and my grandparents and my best friends or my deacon board. I can have anybody come to me and say, Eric, you need to stop this. If you don't stop, the vineyard's going to crumble. The walls are going to come crashing down. Remember that being a slothful person at your work is like being a brother to a destroyer. Trouble is on its way. Eric, Listen. And I can respond, the lazy bones responds, you don't understand who I am. I got this. The problem with lazy bones is not merely that he's lazy. The problem with lazy bones is that he's prideful and lazy. And he'd rather keep on keeping on doing what he's doing, thinking that he can handle it, But the end result for that is destruction. That's what a lazy bones does. Now, I pray, I really do, I pray that all of us have the honesty in this room today to be able to acknowledge certain pieces of our work, our school, our life that reflects the character of a lazy bones. Not so that you're filled with shame and guilt, but so that you can see the warning signs and not repeat them or not go down that path. Especially at our work. How do you transform your view of work to where it's more than just drudgery, toil, toil, trouble, and sorrow? It's, it's how, do you, how do you transform from lazy bones with a character that says, man, I just have an insuperable aver- aversion to all kinds of profitable work. How can we move from that to I go to work and I have a new attitude, I have a new perspective, I have a new satisfaction? Is that possible? Is it possible where you work? Is it possible in your school? Is that possible? I would say yes. Absolutely. You say, well, Eric, you don't understand how boring making widgets eight hours a day can be. You're right. I don't. I don't make widgets. I make widgets. And even if I'm making widgets... Or if I'm making widgets, even if I'm uh, uh, working eight hours at a job that is filled with all kinds of stuff that would make a normal person weep, even in the face of all those difficulties, is it possible for us as followers of Jesus to view that work, to see that work, to engage that work in such a way that we are satisfied? And the answer is yes, I believe. I believe the whole of Scripture teaches us, yes, so how do we get there? Well, I think the big idea about learning about lazy bones and learning about diligence, by the way, Proverbs 6, verse 6, tells us where we need to start looking. 
Proverbs 6, 6 says, go to the ant, you sluggard. Not even go to Jesus. We'll get there, but he starts out with the ant. You need to go to the ant and consider the ant. The ant is faithful and diligent in its work, and it fulfills its work and is productive for the good of the entire community. And really, as a reflection of her maker. That's what the ant does. What does the ant teach us? The ant teaches, and then Jesus is going to teach us, the ant teaches us that faithful work from a wise heart brings glory to God. And when we live to bring glory to God, then we will be satisfied because that's who we are as followers of Jesus. Can I just, and I'm not going to be able to get everything, but can I just say this and write this down? If you are working to satisfy the demands for a paycheck, or if you're working um, to, to satisfy the, the demands of getting a particular grade, or if you're working uh, to, to satisfy some, some idea of what you believe your ambition should drive you to be, if that is the motivation for your work, no wonder you're dissatisfied and tempted to be lazy bones. The reason we work is not to get ahead. The reason we work as followers of Jesus is not to make a buck. The reason we work is not so uh, we can make the grade. The reason we work is to bring glory to God. The reason we live is to bring glory to God. So how we work really matters. How we work in, in, in our school, how we work in our job, how we work in our home, it really does matter. When we give ourselves to work in such a way that brings glory to God, then we will be satisfied. That's how followers of Jesus are made. That's how we were created. So that's why in Colossians chapter 3, and I read a portion of this earlier, Colossians chapter 3, verse 17 says, whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Can, can I just humbly suggest that what will transform your view of your work, whatever it is, is if you begin to see that you are not doing that job for the paycheck or for personal advancement or even to please a boss or to make a grade, but you are living that, doing that job, doing that work for the glory of God in the name of the Lord Jesus, it will transform how you do that job. The very attitude that we have when we do the job. I'm not doing this for a boss that is half the time cantankerous and mean toward me. I'm doing this for the Lord Jesus Christ who has saved me from my sin. Faithful work from a wise heart brings glory to God. You look down in verse 23. Whatever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not to men. I think one of the great uh, keys to experiencing full satisfaction in work and working with exuberance and excellence is when we understand for whom we are working, toward whom. We are working. 
our work is an act of worship to God. Your work is an act of worship to God. I know that I'm a preacher, and that means I work for the church, and there's an idea that preachers who work for a church have sacred work. But if you're a landscaper or a banker or a homemaker or a teacher, uh, that is secular work unless you work at a Christian school of some sort. If I'm just a regular carpenter and I work in somebody else's house, that's secular work, and, and I wish I was doing sacred work like you, Eric, because I know that if you work for the church, everything's hunky-dory all the time, and you don't have any problems, and everybody you work with is just like working with an angel. Can, can I humbly suggest that no matter where you work, if you're a follower of Jesus, that is sacred work? Uh, you're a banker, you're a uh, baker, you're a uh, candlestick maker, you work in your home, you work at your school, you, uh, you, you, you work as a mom or as a dad, you do homeschool or, or you uh, sell something online. It doesn't matter where, it doesn't matter the context, it doesn't matter, it doesn't matter the, the shape of it or the, uh, the fame of it. It, it. If you're a follower of Jesus, what you're doing is sacred to the Lord, and it is an act of our worship. The reason we can work with uh, heart where we, where we work with exuberance and excellence is because we are serving the living God in the middle of the muck of this ditch that I'm digging. It is awesome because God is being glorified from the sweat off my brow. He sees my hands calloused and bleeding, not because I'm trying to honor this boss, this taskmaster, but because I'm living for his fame. And I want people to see how I work and point to Jesus and say, man, that Jesus makes a difference in Eric and how he works. They see, when we begin to view our work as sacred, it changes how we work. When we begin to view our work for God's glory, not for the paycheck, and you might say, well, I better change jobs because all I want to do is make a paycheck in my job. Don't change jobs. Change your attitude. Change how you view what you're doing. I had a guy come up to me not long ago and say, Eric, I, I, you know, I just took this job, and I'm just not having any fun. Okay, I get that. I've had plenty of jobs where I didn't have any fun. But, you know, God didn't call us to sing a Cindy Lauper song. Girls just want to have fun. Guys just want to have fun. God didn't call us to be followers of his just chasing one leisure moment after the other leisure moment. The goal of my job is to enjoy the job itself. Guys, I'm a preacher, and there are parts of my job that aren't any fun at all. But that's not the reason I do the job. God has given me this job, this task, in this place, at this time, so that I can honor him. You are where you are today. To fulfill God's purpose, that is wise work, when you see your work as an act of worship. So transform. Allow the Spirit of God to transform the way you view your work today. And whatever you do in word and in deed, 
Do it all for the glory of God. Don't be an idol worshiper. But turn your work as an act of worship to Jesus.